0: If you're good at something, never do it for free. You're my older brother, and I love you.
1: But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I bothered you. Welcome back. We are the Film Drifters. Our show provides film and TV reviews from two guys that make, watch, and love movies. I'm Myron, and joining me each week is, of course, Will. Hello, all you beautiful people out there.
0: All you beautiful people. So many beautiful people. Yes. I hope you l- I hope it's more of you listening
1: to us. Yes. There there are <laughs> a few more, a handful.
0: Hey. Hey. Yay. Hello, all you new beautiful people out there. New and old. New and old veterans.
1: Yes. Are you are you are you talking about like me because I'm old? You always you're, like to say that.
0: You're literally old, but I'm yeah. talking about
1: the <laughs> the
0: original the fans. The veterans. Yeah. The, the OGs veteran fans. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're not old, Myron. I am old. You know. You may be old in number, but you look like you're still 33. Ah, thank you. I think. You're welcome. It's Asian genes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Today we will be reviewing the film. Speaking of Asian genes, today we will be reviewing yes. the film's Minari uh, as well as The Little Things. And in between, we will be sharing an interview session that I was very fortunate to have with the editor of Minari, the very talented Yoon. Very Super excited cool. to bring that to you all. We had a really great conversation. He's such a, just a nice down-to-earth guy and i think that will definitely uh, translate over as you hear the words that we are able to talk about all right before we get to the reviews first things first let's start with a rundown on the latest in entertainment news i want to talk about award season it's starting mm. a little bit later this year than uh you know how how things started in the past uh, the golden globes normally would have happened already but the uh, nominations were just announced And then we'll talk a little bit about the sag award nominations which recently came out too but first the golden globes now i am someone that does not like to cuss very often at least on air but upon hearing these nominations and seeing what was what was announced i have to say what the fuck dude what what Mm. the hell is happening so my biggest issue in all of this is well, i have two big issues uh, one of them is Hamilton got a nomination for best motion picture, musical or comedy. Now, if you all remember when Hamilton hit Disney Plus, it was literally just cameras pointed on a Broadway stage, yeah. and you know it's like they they got stuff for this. You know they they got the Tony Awards for stage performances. How is just filming a live performance on a stage considered to be uh, an actual motion picture? Agreed. This, yeah, this is taking away from other films that, that should have been nominated. Yep,
0: doesn't make sense at all. Yeah,
1: okay. So I'm glad you agree with me here. But you did... I mean, I loved Hamilton. It was great.
0: It's it's not a movie. <laughs> it's not it's not Les Miserables yeah. when they did yeah. it with Hugh Jackman. It's yeah. not uh, Cats where they filmed yeah. it. Like, it's yeah. not... It's none of that, so Completely. I it's don't understand. It's a stage, musical. It's they, a stage they, musical.
1: Yeah, and that's what they did. They they aimed a set of cameras <laughs> yeah. on, on a Broadway musical stage. And granted, amazing performances, amazing show, one of the best I've ever seen. I, I'm a huge musical guy, and to see that it got nominated in for the golden globes it's it's really weird for me i I don't know how to how to respond to this lin-manuel miranda also got a nomination as best lead actor in a motion picture musical or comedy which was very odd i mean he he got many tonys for his work on this musical which is fine but seeing this here it's a bit odd and uh, i think it's Will. not odd. It's yeah. literally
0: it just it there's it's nonsensical. It, it, it makes no sense. It has no correlation to actually movie
1: making. Yes. You know what I mean. And uh, I think you know where I'm going with my next big beef with the Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Best Motion Picture Foreign Language. Let me mm-hmm. go through the <laughs> the nominees here. <laughs> First is another round from Denmark. Next is. La La Llorona, I hope I said that right, from Guatemala. Mm -hmm. Next is The Life Ahead from Italy. Also nominated is The Two of Us from France. Mm -hmm. And strangely enough, (laughs) making this list (laughs) from the USA, (laughs) from Plan B, which is Brad Pitt's film company, as well as A24, a very American production company, is Minari. Minari. Now... People, please. How does a movie about the American dream? This film is an American production with American crew and American cast members. How the hell does this get nominated for Best Foreign Language Film?
0: I'm going to be very blunt and I really, I really stand by this. I think the Hollywood Foreign Press, in in today's day and age, I honestly am just so annoyed how much of a joke they are and how. Very political. It they, they're just expressing they're just bleeding politics
1: out of their veins. So the Golden Globes uh historically has been the big kickoff for the award season. Normally the uh the nominees Academy. are announced sometime in December mm-hmm. and then basically in like you know, mid-January they have the award show on. And it's kind of semi like a joke, but it's not in that they'll get someone like Ricky Gervais who just Year after year lampoons all the nominees and all of the guests um, that, that are taking part in the, in, the, in the taping of this show, right? You have that. And they have an open bar throughout the entire show. So you have people drunk accepting their awards, right? Yep. And then you have, like, these weird situations in the past. Like, for example, The Tourist starring Johnny Depp and <laughs> Angelina Jolie. This movie was completely panned by critics and then it gets nominated for best motion picture, musical, or comedy. First off, it wasn't a very loved movie, and it was not a musical, nor was it a comedy. So, I mean, they're doing like everything they can to pretty much let everyone know that they're not to be taken seriously. And Is that really, you really think that that's the MO? No, but with choices like this, right? Uh, a Broadway musical taping being considered for best. Picture for a, a USA production uh, to be considered a best foreign language film. These things are really hurting the credibility of this award show. When she they've say? lost
0: all credit for me. It's yeah. completely been a huge joke. Honestly, yep. Yep. I, it started with The Martian for me as best comedy, and I thought, <laughs> yes, really? yes, yes, really, yeah, okay, interesting. And now it's gotten to this part where I am looking at the award show now and think these awards have no meaning to me anymore. Yeah. So, you
1: know, I want to end things on a positive note as we wrap up talking about the Golden Globes and let's. You're talk too about positive. Maybe,
0: you're too positive, <laughs> Myron. The evidence about, is laid out so clearly.
1: Let's talk about some of the things they got right. Um, I'm a big fan of the trial of the Chicago Seven getting nominated uh i heard promising young woman is very good we will be reviewing that next week that got some uh, you know notoriety here uh viola davis got nominated vanessa kirby really big fans of their work we have yet to watch nomadland but i heard francis mcdormand is amazing we will be reviewing that shortly uh riz Ahmed got um you know got some uh props which is good yep even yep. though the sound of metal was not nominated riz Ahmed was so that's great chadwick boseman got nominated i think he got nominated twice Palm yep. Springs, we are big fans of Palm Springs. That got a nomination. Maria mm. Bakalova, a big fan of her work. Sasha Baron Cohen and uh, Borat. Chicago. And Borat yeah. and was, yeah, Chicago. Yeah, nomination right there. Yeah. Yep. So they did get a lot right. They did. But it's just, it's hard to really take, you know, it's hard to give them credit for the things they did well when we're so caught up and borderline angry. Oh, no, I am angry. Not borderline. I am angry at what they got wrong. Now, moving on to the SAG Awards, Screen Actors Guild Awards. Nominees came out shortly after the Golden Globe nominees were announced. And it feels like, to me, they very much righted the ship in many ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Really love what I saw here. Steve Yoon finally got a nomination. He was ignored by the Hollywood Foreign Press for Minari. He did great work there. Um, Riz Ahmed, Chadwick Boseman also also got nominations. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, You saw this movie. I did not. Amy Adams and Glenn Close both got nominated for the work in Hel- in Hillbilly Elegy. Mm, um, yeah. from, from what I saw, the movie was not really liked by critics, but uh, I wanted to ask you what you thought of this film. Uh, were they deserving of their nominations?
0: Right. For Amy Adams as uh, in, in Hillbilly Elegy, she, she really performed for me a character that I've never experienced her uh, to be in. Uh, a very just negative and a, a harsh mother uh, a mother who uh, who is just you know not compassionate at all with but even though she tries to show her love it comes off so cringing uh, that it, it kind of like threw me off in a way where I just got a little scared <laughs> of Amy Adam playing this kind of mother and, and and just the way how she did it just really it came off very
1: convincingly um, a, Another great thing that I, I saw here was uh, for best uh, supporting actress uh, We saw Yu Yoo Jung Yoon nominated for Minari who played the grandmother. She's yeah. apparently the the Meryl Streep of Korea Yeah, she came here to uh, take part in this small smallish little American indie film about a Korean American family great to see her get nominated she was a lot of fun. It could have been very, very much played for, like, laughs. If, uh, you know, just kind of like, oh, the kind of the the cool, hip grandma. But, I don't know. Uh, I kind of
0: wish my grandma was kind of like that. My oh, yeah, grandma yeah, was me funny. Too. I'm sure my we all w-
1: wished our grandmas were like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She was a hoot. I mean, yeah. my grandma, though, like, it's fun to make fun of my grandma, and she would always go along with it. But, man, I kind of wish she had that sass yeah. that this
1: uh, this grandma had. Yeah. Last thing I want to talk about um, is the uh, ensemble performance by a cast in a motion picture. This is essentially their best picture. This is their top award. And for a long time, this was an indicator of who would win for best picture at the Academy Awards. Uh, so, and you know, lately, it, that hasn't been the case. But uh, I think they largely got this right. Uh, nominated for best ensemble cast in a motion picture for the SAG Awards was Defy Bloods, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Minari, *One Night in Miami. So it's a big props to them, um, nominating that film. We reviewed that, uh, last week. Yep. The trial of the Chicago seven. And, uh, yep, that was it. So I think they, they really got it right there. Wouldn't you say? Every film trial of Chicago seven,
0: one night Miami, Ma Rainey's black bottom and defy bloods were all very much involved with the ensemble, meaning that they, they all kind of shared the same amount of screen time, uh, in one area or or one space of a scene or another with minari it was kind of spaced out a bit right we'd focus on the mom and dad for a little bit then we focus on the grandmother a little bit and then the son not so much the daughter but the daughter you know she she made her appearances here and there but i really felt like that film was like you said was centered more with the grandmother and the son
1: uh yeah so that saw that too
0: yeah, so all I think that was the only thing for me with Minari is that it wasn't as cohesive in yeah. one set
1: as the other were. So really, were. They, you bring up a good point. So it wasn't like there was like four or five people in a scene all going at it, like in One exactly. Night in Miami or Try the Chicago yep. 7. This mm-hmm. really took its time and uh, examined its relationships in a very more of an intimate setting, right? Like grandmother and grandson or husband yep. and wife, brother, sister. Yeah, very good point there. This was, yeah. I think, yeah, very, very... Very good observation there. That this probably was the only movie like that um, uh, with exactly. the movies that we we just talked about. So yeah, thank you for yep. from bringing that up. Yeah. All right. Uh, that is our look at the rundown. A look at future episodes. Now, next week we will be re- we will be reviewing the films "Promising Young Woman," "Judas and the Black Messiah," as well as Derek Delgadio's "In and of Itself." And joining us uh, for that episode will be uh, our favorite guest host, Kat Loznikova. She will be back next week so uh we'll see what she uh what she has in store for us very very happily very happy to say that we are not reviewing any depressing films at least i hope these aren't depressing but we'll yes see.
0: cat please do not let it be depressing please okay. i know you're what, listening what is that voice <laughs> i was trying to do my cat impression that that's your cat <laughs> okay. that's my, my that's my cat impression because she's also russian
1: well, okay, <laughs> maybe not. That's like borderline racist there, but <laughs> I retract okay. it. I retract yes, it. <laughs> it's too late. It's already out there. Oh, uh, right. but Cat knows I love her. So yes, <laughs> happy birthday, Cat! By the way,
0: happy birthday!
1: I was able to help her get a free dinner at Sugarfish. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought that so, was so a candy welcome. store.
0: <laughs> so, I don't, sorry, I just, I just had to
1: throw out that fact. <laughs> By the way, Sugarfish has the best to-go packaging. That box that they that they give you, it's it's awesome. Anyway, it, it's super fancy. But is yeah.
0: it good though? That's my. It's
1: good. Yeah, it's totally good. Yeah, you don't think okay. so? Yeah, I've never
0: had it actually. Okay. I just right. every time I hear Sugarfish, I think the the Swiss candy, little fish,
1: swish candies. <sighs> Those are Swedish fish, man. Sw- <laughs> Swiss, what's Swiss <laughs> fish? <laughs> That's nice. Swedish fish, bro. <laughs> Those we'll are be damn good, by the way.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> they are. We'll be back. No. <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> Any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or reviews of content, drop us a line at contactusatthefilmdrifters.com and tell your friends about us. Our podcast can be found on the Apple Podcasts app, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and, of course, Spotify.
0: Spread the love, people. Spread, Spread the, the love. love.
1: And now on to our first review. Uh, this is a look at the trailer for the film Minari. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family.
0: Glad you're here. How's your daddy like that new farm? He drawing things good, doing things right. Yes.
2: 미국 애들은 할머니랑 같이 방 쓰는 거 싫어한다던데. 떼는 like 안 그래요. 한국 애니까. 왜 하나 소서사이
0: 야. 뭐라고 그랬음스매?
2: <웃음> <웃음> 우리 여기 있다간 망할 거야. 애들을 위해서라도 한번더 생각해 볼수 있잖아. <웃음>
0: 애들도 한 번쯤 아빠가 뭔가 해내는 거 봐야 될거 아니야. <웃음> 봐. 할머니는 진짜 할머니 같지 않아요. 할머니 같은 게 뭔데? 나쁜 말도 팬티도 입고.
2: We need to find water somewhere. If that soil ain't wet, we're gonna lose a crop.
0: 결혼을
1: we are back that was a look at the trailer for the film minari summary is a very simple one this movie is about a korean family that starts a farm in 1980s arkansas now do you even know how to
0: say it right the title
1: minari (laughs) that's very like phonetic you know the korean alphabet is very i know i wanted to hear you say it minari minari (laughs) Minari. i I don't know I, i don't know I don't know where the accent goes. It's Minari or Minari. Minari. <laughs> that sounds Italian. <laughs> what are you minari. minari. <laughs> <laughs> but nice.
0: But as we
1: always, as we all say, it's just Minari. Yes, as, as us Gringos or people born in the states say, Minari. Anyway, minari. Will, what do you got for us? <laughs>
0: oh man, it's this film. Okay, this film is difficult to review. Because I cannot help but to feel a lot of commonality. Yes. As it literally is, if not most, a Korean-American story of myself. uh, In terms of the upbringing, not so much the, obviously, growing up in Arkansas. But it's more of how uh, the Korean Korean family and the Korean... It's about um, the experience. The Korean, second generation Korean experience. Exactly. Coming to live the American dream. Right seeing what they were going through as a family to make seeing a father specifically trying to make a life so much better for not just himself but the family uh there's one thing that that a lot of people can take away from this at least for any americans or non-asian uh viewer that this is a pretty good representation of how the mentality of an Asian family really thinks, for, at least for the first generation, yeah. that their mind, their mindset is about success. It's about starting a new life. Mixing that up, though, with the idea of what family really means, though, because what I got from this film that, that felt very similar was a, a dad who has a vision and is going to do whatever he needs to to make that vision happen uh, but at the same time, trying to convince that it's for the family, at the same time, the family is looking at it and going, we don't need to go this route, you know, in order to yeah. find success and happiness. Because we're in America now. There's so many different opportunities that we can go and achieve. And even if we fail, we can try again as a family. But as a family, we need to make that decision
1: together.
0: Yeah. yeah so, so it was very much driven by the dad.
1: Yeah, and I have to agree there, and there is some definite uh, truth to this, right? They yes. talk very much about how they were just happy in, in California. Um, you know, they had a job, they had a level of comfort, they had their uh, little uh, their niche, right? Uh, They're surrounded by other Koreans, but their father had a dream to basically move them out to Arkansas and uh, start a uh, farm where they would grow Korean produce in order yeah. to sell that to uh, neighboring like markets and restaurants. Because at the time, there was a huge influx of Koreans and Asians to these other parts of the states, right? Oklahoma City, maybe even Texas, and then areas of the South as well. So yep. he had a dream. But that dream, I, I guess if you really had to look at it, was somewhat selfish because he wanted to make his mark. He wanted to make his family proud of him, right? Have a so legacy. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that can be looked upon as admirable at the same time. It, maybe it's it's a bit of a flaw because he took some big risks and he put his family on the line, potentially jeopardizing his relationships with his family members as well. But I think it, in that, you know, we don't see him as the villain. We just see a man because, you know, as men, we all have that drive to mm-hmm. make our mark, to, to, like, take a risk and to see our family proud of us, you know, God willing, that risk pays off, right? So there was some definite truth, I think, to how they portrayed this family. And I think it goes beyond Asians or Koreans. I think it's about all families, right? Or even any sort of person that grew up where they didn't speak the language that their parents spoke right or even maybe kids that like grew up hearing their their parents fighting and that they were scared and, and wondering if you know their parents were going to split up and if so what that would look like and who they would I have did to live that with. too
0: that yeah. scene when their parents were fighting and they went straight to the room to write notes and then mm-hmm. fold them into paper airplanes yeah. saying stop fighting i did that with my sister when i was young and mm-hmm. my mom when she was watching that scene with me i looked over to her and said you know, Doe and I used to do this, like when you guys always fought. She said, really? When? It's like, when you guys were in your room yelling your heads off, we would go and write notes, throw it in your room to, to, to ask you to stop fighting. And my mom, she just looks at me, she goes,
1: oh, all Korean kids do that with
0: Korean parents. And I'm like, what?
2: There's no,
1: are you making this up? I think we can agree that this film isn't big. It's not packed with stars, but it's really beautiful storytelling. Uh, didn't we have to be. It was so well done. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we understand. I mean, this film, the opening shot is of, of the sun. So we thought that, okay, this movie is going to be told from the, the eyes, the point of view of the sun. But it really isn't like that. We understand everyone's point of view very, very clearly, and in any given scene, we know exactly where you know their conflict is coming from, which is really, really great. And I think that's really where the power of, of this movie comes from. It's the power comes from its simplistic storytelling. Um, yeah. You know, this movie is about a Korean family that moves to Arkansas from California to start a new life. But really, like we talked about. Um, it's about a father willing to risk everything for a better life for his family and uh, yeah. i think that's just really identifiable on so many levels it's really weird this movie isn't outwardly emotional nothing really crazy uh happens that makes you want to just break down and just start bawling right only but if you can relate to it i, 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 yeah. I think i related to it and you related to it on a deeper yeah. level There yeah. are so many scenes where i just like couldn't help i was holding back tears like, you know, when um, the grandma and the son, they first go out to, to plant them at the Minari um, plant. Um, you know, just the connection that um, the grandma had with the son. And uh, also just some of the scenes, like at the the big climax at the end, which uh, circles around a burning barn. and then Yeah. Then, yeah. And then when we see, um, you know, David, played by Alan, he plays his son when we see him just run for the first time in the movie. And uh, yeah. there's this thing, I don't want to give anything away, but him running at the end of the film really means something. Um, so many powerful moments where just the the simple way and the really understated way they handled the, the material really just lent to its power. And I was just floored at so many moments of this film.
0: There's one specific uh, part of this narrative that i i thought was a bit more modern uh, in a sense uh, a little bit more uh ahead of its time but i think that's just only due to the fact that i've, I've never experienced it personally was monica's uh, personality of realizing what steven yun's character basically his his vision was and she and she just realized that this is this is not this is not going to work out if 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 this is the way you look at it, if this is all if if it's all about money not your family kind of thing, and I've never seen at least because this is taken in the 80s I've never I've never witnessed an uh, uh, an Asian Korean uh, mother speak out so independently I guess like that
1: yeah and one of the um, um, special features uh, uh, for for this film there was a Q and A session and they talked about how things are really changing for Korean families when they were coming to the States in the 80s. They're talking about how in Korea, things were still very, very much um, in the old ways. Um, Women weren't really driving, they weren't allowed to speak out. But as these uh, families were coming from Korea and trying to establish themselves in the States, women were all of a sudden learning to drive. They were taking up more of a role in bringing money into the house. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it started to change quite a bit, very quickly where women were becoming independent and speaking out. And so within these homes, um, things are rapidly just progressing, right, where women were finding an equal footing with the men. And so the director, Lee Isaac Chung, uh, very much talked about how that was something that was happening in this film as well, where the woman had a voice that had to Got be heard.
0: It. That makes sense. Well, what say you about the acting? How did you, how did you uh,
1: oh, like the I, acting? I love the acting. Everyone was so good. Um, Steve Yoon, Yeri Han, husband and wife, the kids uh, who were actually discovered within a year of shooting, never acted before. Uh, they both played their parts really well. And of course, the grandmother, uh, Yu Jung Yoon, really brought a lot to the role because otherwise it could have just been played for laughs. But she brought yeah. a heart and soul to the, to the role that I hadn't seen before. But I want to come back and ask you a question. Um, what did you think of Steve Yoon's accent? Because <laughs> I'll be honest, for me, it didn't bother me at all. Um, because a performance is more than the accent. And to be honest, his Korean was far better than mine. But there were there are honestly Koreans that we spoke with that had a problem with it. It took some out of the movie and maybe not others. So I wanted to ask you what you thought. And you said you saw the movie with your mom. What did she say if she said anything?
0: She actually didn't say anything about or yeah. made a comment about his or anyone's Korean. Uh, I think she was more... She definitely was drawn into the story and yeah. that was great to yeah. see that. Yeah. Uh Steven Yun, I I remember when we worked with him, I think it was like my first one of my earlier first gigs. Yeah. And you know, hear him talk and, and in my mind uh, back like almost 10 years ago, I was thinking I can't really imagine you speaking Korean for yeah. some reason. So the moment that I heard him speak Korean in this film, I I first thing that came to my mind was Oh, yeah, you speak way better than I do. Oh, yeah, you are <laughs> very convincing. I, I don't even know what you're saying exactly, but it sounds a lot better, what they call, like, the tongue, like, like the, like the, uh, the breath, the like Korean, like, yeah. how
1: you speak, the accent. So uh, I want to talk about the ending now um, oh, without man. revealing too much about it. Yeah. Um, so in my talk with Harry, he actually said that uh, they had a different ending in mind. And uh, off of Harry's suggestion, Lee Isaac Chung decided to change things up a bit so with that being said the ending here is what the editor the director and everyone kind of agreed was the right one what did you think of the ending was it the right ending for this movie it was that feeling of
0: keeping keeping things intact i I don't know if that's i know that's a little too vague for for people to understand but for you i hope that you understand in terms of family keeping things intact because it kind of it kind of fixed itself, even yes. though it was bittersweet, yeah,
1: there was a problem, yes, um that we didn't know if this family would be able to uh conquer it, and then uh amidst this beautiful blaze, we'll just call it that uh, <laughs> without words being said, uh but the power of the moment was enough to us to keep this family together, and then there was a little bit of like a coda at the end afterward that just reminded us, hey. Everyone's still going to be family. okay. They're going yeah. to be okay. Yeah, and it was it was enough for me.
0: I, I think that the ending w- hit me very personal in a very personal way, in a very in a very beautiful way. And I I just I loved it. I, I really do loved the way they decided to go with this. Yeah, uh, me too. Uh, yeah, not not having to know what the other option was really.
1: Yeah. Okay, great. So all right, so let's take it to the jury. Let's give our final reviews of the film. What do you think, Will? What do you give this movie?
0: I give this a four and a half stars it's this as simple of a story as it was it it had moments where I kind of wished certain other things were fleshed out I guess for the audience to understand in terms of the the arguments that that Steven and the wife would have and and, or or certain um, just certain cultural aspects that maybe I'm just being really way too picky with it of wanting a bit more detail okay and so yeah
1: I give it a four and a half as well. Um, Really amazing film. Um, One of the more simpler movies that I think came out in the last year, but that's not a bad thing. It actually really captivates you with the relationships within the family. It's extremely identifiable, and uh, the director really takes his time in each scene, um, developing the viewpoints of each of the characters, and uh, really, it's just a beautiful movie. Um, really really loved it if, if I had to go back and uh, redo my top 10 movies of 2020 this would uh, very honestly clocking at number 2 just behind Wow uh, the Sound I would say of Metal. number 5 for me that was our in-depth review of the film Minari it is available in theaters on February 12th uh, we will take a short break and come back with my interview with Minari's editor Harry Yoon stay tuned
0: whisper something is-
1: Good God almighty. You know, they put themselves in danger, girls like that.
2: It was a perverted thing to say.
1: You'd think you'd learn by that age, right?
2: Please lay down. What are you doing? It's
1: okay, hey, you're silent. Saying...
2: What are you doing?
1: Hey, I said, what are you doing? Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, a nice guy comes over to
2: see if I'm okay. You okay? You are so pretty. I am a nice guy. Are you?? One, two, three, four. I thought we had a connection. Okay. How
1: old am I? What are my hobbies? What's my name? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. Cassandra? (laughs) We were in class together at Forest. You would have been a great doctor. What happened? I left under unusual circumstances. You remember what happened,
0: right? Why I dropped out. I'm not the only one didn't believe it. We get accusations like this all the time.
1: He needs brains. They never did a girl any good.
2: I'm so sorry. I didn't go with her. You gotta let it go.
1: What are you gonna do?
2: I do Why do you guys
1: have to ruin everything? We were kids. If I hear that one more time, I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. I was hoping you'd feel differently by now.
0: It's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that.
1: Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? I wanted to be a doctor my whole life. Lately, I've been feeling like I might want to get back into it. All right, we are back from break. And we are really, really excited to have with us Harry Yoon, the editor for Minari. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Thanks, Byron. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. So uh, Will and I got to see this film, and uh, we were just absolutely just blown away. And I think a lot of it. Well, first off, it's a really amazing film. But there's so much of it that I think speaks to us. I mean, we didn't grow up on a farm in Arkansas, but you know, being second generation, um, you know, Koreans here in the states, I think there's something in the movie that really resonates with all of us. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, before we get into the film. Um, you've been in the industry for quite a while and you worked on some really amazing films as well as TV shows. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you got your start and what drove you to want to be an editor?
2: Sure. Um, So I got my start relatively late, I think, probably compared to a lot of your listeners um, who kind of start in film, like maybe right after school, right after college, Mm -hmm. or maybe after a little bit of grad school. Mm -hmm. But for me, uh, for a lot of my 20s, I had a lot of ambivalence in really committing to a career in film just cuz you know I'm the first son of a uh, of first generation uh, Korean American immigrants and you know they came here uh I you know I think so that you know we would have opportunities for more financial stability maybe even a, a respectable profession <laughs> sure <laughs> <laughs> and um and so like through my 20s I would sort of go back and forth like I would like you know go I went to Korea for a couple of years to you know, relearn Korean so that I could write scripts, you know, you know, in both languages. But then I ended up uh, working in software and then, And then when I came back, I was like, should I apply to film school? And then Mm -hmm. I ended up working in in technology as well. I dropped, I got into NYU graduate film, but only spent a year there in my late twenties and then dropped out uh, in order to pursue, you know, a chance at a little more financial stability through the dot-com boom. And so Mm -hmm. it was a lot of back and forth. And finally, um, I think it was right after 9-11 happened that I was just, it was like a wake up call. And I was like, look, we only have one life and, you know, you have to kind of take the shot. And so I talked to my parents, I talked to a therapist, (laughs) (laughs) sold my condo and, uh, you know, left my six figure management job at a technology firm and just started from the bottom at the age of 31 uh, in Los Angeles, got a job as an intern and then as a post PA getting doing coffee runs and getting lunch for people and then just work my way up the ladder from that point. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I got my start.
1: Wow. That's incredible. I mean, it must've been so hard, especially just living a more comfortable life, um, to be able to take that risk. And, uh, I can only imagine how scared you must have been telling your parents that because I had a similar discussion with mine because I was <laughs> supposed to go to dental school. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, at the time I wanted to be uh, become a screenwriter. So I was like, uh, I'm not going to dental school anymore. I really want to kind of get into making movies. And, uh, I mean, their response was surprisingly like, okay, yeah, do that. Like, I didn't see you as a dentist anyway. <laughs> they actually <laughs> said that to me, but I don't know how common that kind of uh, re- uh, response is. What did your parents say when you told them this?
2: You know, it's funny because, like, I, I think at by that time, I think they saw that at least I wasn't going to do it foolishly, you know, mm-hmm. that I was going to prepare for it, research it, you know, t- took it seriously, had a plan. Because uh, I told them that I was specifically interested in editing. And the reason that I chose it was I love the process, but also, like, I think it's really easy to make a e- much easier to make a living wage mm-hmm. in editing Versus producing or directing or writing, you know, earlier on, mm-hmm. and so I was like, okay, well, at least I'm going to be able to pay the bills and you know, have, you know, make a make at least a living wage, you know, earlier, and so and so that was my hope, and so they saw that plan, but I think what really made the difference is I asked my dad years later after I'd achieved some level of stability, I was like, why did you let me do this? You know, <laughs> why why did you say okay? why did you give me your blessing? And he said that, you know, when it came down to it, the reason that he came to America was not just that we would have financial stability and good opportunity, but so that we would have the freedom to choose things that he didn't have Hmm. uh, at our age. Uh, I think, you know, there were more limited opportunities in post-war Korea. I mean, he came from a very, from very humble beginnings. And so, you know, he didn't have his choice of the kind of education that he could get. And so, I think he was really excited that we were making choices. Uh, this is my sister and I were making choices that really took advantage of the freedom that the U.S. Mm. afforded. And um, I found that very moving. Uh, and uh, and I really, really wow. am um, grateful for my parents to, to have an open mind in that way.
1: What an amazing story. Before we get to Minari, I just want to ask you one more question about being an editor. I saw a meme when the pandemic started about what it's like being an ed- editor, and there was a before and after picture, and the before picture had an editor sitting at a desk completely by himself in a room looking at his, looking at his computer monitor, and the after picture was the exact same photo. Has <laughs> your like environment or just your workflow changed as a result of the pandemic at all?
2: Yeah. You know, I have to say like, you know, there is that stereotype, but I have to say like, I think in order to truly be successful as an editor, like you cannot be a recluse. Hmm. Like so much of what you're doing is being in dialogue with like key creatives to both understand what it is they're trying to say or do or convey. And, um, and then to be able to sort of like speak that back to them both in the moment uh, while you're, while you're describing an idea or through the work that you're doing through your craft Mm -hmm. and to be able to say like, Hey, here's why I think this is working. Here's why I think this is not working. And so like, yeah, I mean, I think that's true that we do spend a lot of time in the dark alone, (laughs) but I I think that it's so important for an editor to have great communication skills and Mm. really, really good people skills. Ultimately, because I mean, as you know, Myron, having worked in the industry for a while, like so much of the industry is about politics, mm. right? Like how do you navigate yeah. big egos? How do you navigate, Absolutely. you know, like tense situations? How do you navigate a situation in a room in which you have two people disagreeing? Like how do you sort of make peace in those instances? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think ironically editors have to have like really great people skills, even though they do spend a good amount of time alone <laughs> in a room. Very true. <laughs>
1: very true all right switching gears over to minari i wanted to ask you what drew you to this project
2: well i'm i as soon as i read the script i was um just blown away um by how specific it was in its details how funny it was but also it's an unusual korean american story Hmm. in that a lot of like you know, the Asian American literature and um, even films I'd seen is very much from the perspective of the second generation, right? The kid Mm -hmm. kind of coming of age. But this one had such a balance in perspective between the kid and the kids and the adults Mm. and grandma as well. And so it was this sort of balance between these multi-generational perspectives and the complexity involved that really drew me to the project. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I loved the script. And as soon as I started speaking to Isaac, uh, Isaac Chung, who's our director, mm-hmm. I saw how collaborative he was, how open he was to the creative process. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a dream come true to be able to tell this kind of story with this kind of leader.
1: hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great to hear. I mean, when I first saw the movie, uh, that opening shot, like, we, we rest on the sun for a good few seconds. And I'm oh, thinking, yeah. oh, this is going to be a story told through his eyes. But then as I kept watching, it really did round out everyone's perspective so well. Um, and even those moments of conflict, you kind of understood where everyone was coming from. And you were kind of in the heads of every single character. It was, mm-hmm. really, it was, it was really amazing to see. Um, just switching gears a little bit, I wanted to talk about uh, what it was like working on a smaller independent film. I mean, you worked on some really big budget movies um, and shows like The Revenant, Hunger yeah. Games, yeah. Euphoria. What was it like switching gears and working on a smaller independent film? Like, you know, was the the time frame crunched down? Were you editing as they were shooting? would love to hear some some details.
2: All of the above. Um, Um, First off, I I needed to take like, I think a 60% pay cut in terms uh, of my rate in order to work on this. But I think that's often the kind of trade-off you need to make um, is like, you do one to pay the rent, you do one for the scale of it, but then, you know, one, your passion projects, especially early on are often, actually not even just early on, even later on, (laughs) like they're, they're often ones in which you have to make some compromises financially. Um, so there was certainly that but uh, but also because it was a lower budget film we didn't have a ton of time in post Um, and so what would ordinarily be like a 12 to 20 week post what we actually locked from the from the week that uh, the week after principal photography ended we had 10 weeks uh, and we needed to basically be locked at the end of the 10 weeks Mm. so it was a for for me, having worked on a lot of different features, that was kind of an accelerated post for a feature. Sure. Um, and uh, and also like, what was great was that we had the kind of backing and the creative resources and um, you know the confidence of knowing that both Plan B and A twenty four, who are just such amazing producing you know entities, you know, we're going to get this film out there. And so that was like even though we were low budget even though we were sort of you know constrained in terms of the the physical and the you know what we could do we never sort of like felt like oh okay like we were wanting for good input or we were wanting for incentive Mm -hmm. to get the to get the get the film as good as it could be Mm -hmm. because we knew that that those entities knew how to get a film out there yeah of this type yeah i mean like you're talking like moonlight and you're talking like i mean the farewell and so it just galvanized us it just got us so excited with this idea that like this perhaps smaller korean-american story could have a nationwide audience and so yeah Yeah. that was that was really sort of electrifying for us.
1: Yeah, I mean, you brought up Moonlight. And, uh, you know, when, we, when you think about, oh, A24 and Plan B coming together, I remember the last time that happened, uh, it garnered uh, actual best picture win. So uh, yeah. I'm really yeah. hoping personally that I see something like that in, in Minari's future. Like, I, I got my fingers crossed here. From your
2: mouth to God's ears, man. Seriously. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So I'd love to hear uh, more about your workflow. And, you know, uh, I, I like to think that some of our listeners have more of a technical mindset when it comes to these things. We'd love to hear uh, what it was like. And uh, I mean, the camera that they shot on, was it an Alexa or, or a RED?
2: Yeah, I think it was an Alexa mini that okay. they shot on. Um, okay. But I could be wrong um, ab- about that. But we basically had an incredible um, uh ac slash dit onset Uh i mean this will tell you the budget level is john roman who's uh korean-american actually um who had such a passion for the film that he's an la local but he flew to tulsa where they were shooting to work as a local because he found the project so compelling Mm -hmm. Uh, he and his sister jamie who's also in camera as well she was our second Mm -hmm. so um so uh, John would uh, pull focus during the day and then in the evenings transcode and upload for us. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Irene Chun, my amazing first assistant would download the footage. Uh, we cut in the Avid, so we were, um, we were a relatively light codec like DNX 36 mm-hmm. and um, we would download all the dailies in the morning, she would prep them and then I would be cutting by afternoon. Okay. Uh, and, and so that, that circles back to another question you had was Yeah, our cutting room was open from day one of production. Mm -hmm. And that actually ended up being critical because we had a really aggressive shoot for a feature. It was a 25-day shoot. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, I think having the cutting room open, us sending Isaac scenes at the end of every week to show him what he's getting gave him a tremendous amount of confidence that things were working, Mm -hmm. as well as some really practical things like, you know, could they wrap out of a location, you know, what else did we need in that location, you know, when they wrapped out of the trailer, you know, things like that. So I was like calling them and begging for like exterior establishing shots and inserts of this, that type of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, because normally like a,
1: normally like a second crew would go out or or get those things. And but then now they really didn't have the time, right? They were only there for a certain amount of time and you needed those shots. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, given the the tight crunch of the time frame, you know, obviously the director Lee Isaac Chung wasn't in the room with you, so I, I would imagine you had quite a bit of autonomy uh, in terms of first cuts. I mean, I hear that the, of course, the movie is written three times: once on the page, once on set, and once in the edits. So, uh, what was it like collaborating with him? You talked a little bit about that. Would love to hear more, and would love to hear about kind of the process of of maybe putting that first cut together and sending him scenes. What that was sure. like.
2: Sure, I I actually had a really encouraging experience with Isaac early on that showed me how collaborative and open he was. Mm -hmm. Like uh, actually towards the end of pre-production about five days before they were about to shoot. So everybody was in Tulsa, they were finishing up their casting and stuff like that. And um, one of the problems casting that they were having was finding uh, folks for an ending that Isaac had originally written that actually jumped forward in time and had older versions of David and um, Anne, yeah. uh, his sister, basically. Um, and, uh, and basically we were talking about the ending and how uh, there were good things about it, but also problems with it. And the next day, Isaac actually came up with the ending that you see now in the film, which is yeah. much more, again, sort of staying centered yeah. on the present of the family uh, and not recasting people. And I was just so blown away that based on a conversation he had we had that he would actually change the ending in that way and then tell the producers we're not going to finish casting these other people we're not going to shoot that alternate ending even though that's the ending that had been in the script for all of this time and so that just that just showed me that Isaac you know had this really courageous ability to kind of like make strong decisions like that for, that would have a real impact on the film, yeah. and that he was open to that kind of collaboration. Yeah. And so that gave me a lot of confidence going through production. And as I was putting together the editor's cut, um, to you know take some swings. You know, obviously, you know, I would I would let Isaac know um, to add sort of. Uh, normally, my my process in in the editor's cut is to is to show the entire canvas of the film. Mm-hmm. I never take anything out because I think it's one of the most important aspects of it is to see everything that we have, Mm -hmm. even though it might not necessarily be in the right order, even though it might not be serving the overall story or the rhythm of the cut, um, it's it's just for us both to see everything laid out on the table. The only thing I did though was like move some scenes around, split some scenes Mm -hmm. um, in in order to to give it a a slightly, I think a flow that made a little bit more sense. Mm and, um, he was very open to that. He watched the first cut was depressed the way that all de- directors are depressed yeah. after the first <laughs> cut, but really ready to, to work, you know, the next day. And, uh, we just dove right in and started, um, crafting, restructuring, pulling things out, um, tightening, etc.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm really happy that you both decided on that ending. Cause it was so perfect for me. Uh, I mean um, the, that when the barn was on fire and, uh, you see, a family that had just come apart kind of get reunited amidst this, this blaze yeah. and then we have like a little bit of a coda that just lets you know that after all that that everyone's going to be okay and it was just enough yeah. i feel like it was the perfect ending so i'm really happy that oh, that's awesome. what you decided
2: Thanks, on awesome
1: yeah, so uh, I guess my uh, last question for you is, uh, what's next? Uh, do you have any sort of works, uh, you know, in the plan? Or uh, maybe attending the Oscars this year? <laughs> if, if they allow that. Well,
2: I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's that, that would be a dream to be able to go to support the film, especially because, like, it's in the conversation for possibly a Best Picture nomination or a Best Supporting Actress nomination or Best Actor. Like, I just, I, I, I mean, everything has been gravy for us. I mean, just basically... Even when we went to Sundance, all we wanted was just for this film to find an audience. But in our heart of hearts, also, we wanted, we knew this film had been such a gift to us as, uh, you know, Korean American immigrants. And we knew that it had the potential to be that way as a gift for the families that were, you know, in our direct community. But then to have it just find an audience well beyond the mm-hmm. Asian American community at Sundance and to have it sort of, be lauded in this way is just like, it's just a dream on top of a dream. And so anything else just feels like, okay, if it happens, wonderful, <laughs> but like, I feel like the most important screenings for us have already happened in that, you know, when our families saw this film and felt seen and, um, you know, hopefully like healed and reconciled at times, you know, I think those were the most important for screenings for us.
1: All right, Harry, thank you so much for joining us. You've been very generous with your time. Benari is hitting theaters on Friday, February 12th, which is upcoming this Friday. And uh, it'll, it will also be available on demand on February 26th. Thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you. Oh, and Myron, just just as just so that if you are in an area that doesn't have open theaters due to COVID, A24 is actually doing a virtual cinema uh, by, on a site called Screening Room in which you can purchase tickets starting um, uh, this week uh, for specific dates starting on the 12th. And um, the way it works is you purchase the tickets, first come, first serve, and you have a window between, excuse me, 4 p.m. Pacific and 8 p.m. uh, Pacific to watch the film, to start the film, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, if if you're in an area that's impacted by COVID, you can also see it through that virtual cinema. Great, great,
1: that's awesome to hear. Uh, That's, I believe, how I saw it, Uh, my wife and I, we saw it that same way, virtual cinema, just about a week ago. And it was a great viewing experience, Uh, was able to uh, kind of stream it to our television. So I encourage all of you to see it that way, if uh, that's your only way of seeing it. Please support this film. It is just an amazing piece of work, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more about it as we draw nearer to the Academy Awards. Um, Thank you so much, Harry.
2: Thank you guys, had a great time. I want to share something with you. Like the masses, I was in awe when I first laid eyes on all the things you are. I heard that speech. I knew we make noise. I just thought it'd be in the streets. The Black Panthers are the single greatest threat to our national security. Our counterintelligence program must prevent the rise of a black messiah. You're looking at 18 months for the stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. What do you want? Get close to Hampton. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Neutralize him by any means necessary. america's on fire right now and until that fire's extinguished nothing else means a damn thing imagine what we could accomplish together
1: we can heal this whole city
2: you ain't telling me it was gonna be like this these ain't no terrorists
0: we got a rat man does anybody else know about me no one knows your identity are you sure
2: we educate we nurture, we feed, and we lobby. Perhaps we're here for more than just war with these bodies. We scream, and we shout, and we live by this anthem. But it's power to the people really worth their ransom. When I dedicated my life to people, I dedicated my life. You get to go up there and talk about dying a revolutionary death because you don't have another person. Burn
1: inside your body. Anywhere there's people. There's power. All right. Uh, thanks so much to Harry for uh, joining us with that Q&A. After that, you heard a trailer for Judas and the Black Messiah, which we will be reviewing next week. And now, on to our review of The Little Things, starring Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, as well as Jared Leto. This movie is about a Kern County deputy sheriff, Joe Deacon, played by Denzel. He's sent to Los Angeles for what should have been a quick evidence-gathering assignment. Instead, he becomes embroiled in the search for a serial killer who is terrorizing this city. Now... um Let's just say this movie was not Minari-level at at, at all, but still had (laughs) things that we appreciated about it. Um, Yeah, just a powerhouse cast, Yeah, I guess. I'm choosing my words very carefully. So let me Mm. kick it off with you, Will. What did you think of this
0: movie? I've said this before. I love uh, murder mystery, uh, crime films. Uh, I'm actually curious to see what Cat would think of this film, but... It felt, if it, it was consistent in terms of.
1: It's mediocrity. <laughs> just kidding.
0: <laughs> if it, it was consistent in terms of the, the, the mystery of not just what was happening uh, during that time in LA, uh, but the characters themselves, especially Denzel's character, because they really hinted little things of, oh, so, uh, you're Deek, uh, Deke, you're Joe De- Deacon, yeah. you know, so, so you're that uh, guy, and you're yeah. just like, who, what are you talking about? And so little details and hints, because obviously when you see where he is in Kern County, you're like, Oh, I guess he used to work at LA. So yeah. you at the same time are piecing together this film of not just the crime scene, but the background character, which I liked, I thought, okay, that's kind of fun. I, I like to kind of go on that little journey, but as it was unraveling, whenever i ha whenever I try to break down and really figure out a character, i I guess for myself i I really have a higher expectation of of what's the what this what what's gonna be uh, shown. And what we get revealed about it is kind of disappointing for me personally. I just thought, really, that's why. this is why. He's in Kern County, and he left L.A., even though, like, everyone kind of praised him for the type of detective he was during that time.
1: I, I did not like this movie at all. And uh, what kept me going is right when I wanted to stop watching it, Jerry Leto yeah. comes on, and he's good. I'm like, all right, Jerry Leto's on. Interesting performance. And then the end I loved. You hated the ending. I but hated I the, ending. the yeah. ending. All right, no. we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll come back yes. to that. Yes, okay. So let me go back to how I felt about this movie. Let me start off by saying, when it started, I didn't like it at all. Um, there are many, many, many movies within the same vein of you know this whole obsessive cops out to catch a killer. Um, there are many movies that are far better than this one. I can name a few right off the top of my head: Zodiac, mm-hmm. Seven, and by the way, Memories of Murder from two thousand and three, one of Bong Joon-ho's first movies in Korea. Mm phenomenal movie right those are all heads and tails better than this film um, wow the dialogue was extremely contrived i was literally rolling my eyes uh, the first 30 minutes of the movie uh, when like denzel rolls back into town to la and then all these cops are like oh deke is back joe deacon's back hey, man, how's it going? Let me buy you a cup. And it's just like all of these cops talking like they were in a really bad 80s uh, cop movie, like Circa Lethal Weapon, right? Well, this was set in what, the 90s? Yeah, I think so. But the dialogue- Early 90s. Yeah. Sure. Very contrived as if it was from like a bad 80s movie. (laughs) Even Denzel Washington's name, Joe Deacon, sounds like the the protagonist from a bad cop B-movie, like Samurai Cop or something like that, right? (laughs) And everyone calls him, hey, Deke. Good to have you back, man. Y- even that, I-, I was just like rolling my eyes the entire time. Um, oh, I, <laughs> I love Rami Malek. I love him. Like, Mr. Robot, incredible. He was in this miniseries called The Pacific where he actually stuck, stuck out more than everybody else. This is when he was starting out, right? Yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody, amazing. But I can't help but feel like his unique energy was really miscast in and this dare, film yeah. yeah dare i say misplaced it almost felt like he was playing freddie mercury as a cop right <laughs> he, he would ha- he would kind of like stand in a very freddie mercury kind of way and respond in a very flamboyant you know queenish kind of way and i'm just like i don't know i was thinking more like the pharaoh this-
0: from night at the museum oh yeah yeah King- that's no, i'm kidding
1: <laughs> it's like, it's,
0: that's too harsh
1: that's it's too like, harsh. It's like dude you're, you're a cop in 90s la it just feels very weird right
0: okay,'ll I'll say this though with with where you're going. Look, when I was listening to dialogue and I even looked at the I actually enjoy the cinematography in this film. I thought the look of it was very lethal weapon slash uh, just that 90s uh, filter kind of feel and even some of the sh- even the, even the, the the camera operation uh, had that same feeling and even the music. The music was very nineties. I could me as not well.
1: stand the music.
0: i was really? just like,
1: what, what, what i where did you get this? Was I this guy at a cat with a Casio keyboard? <laughs> like, you know, dialing up the synth sound. Just,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it was it was campy. It was campy, but it, it created some nostalgia of that. But I totally get what you're saying. I I, I understand where you're coming from.
1: Yeah. Let's talk Jerry Little. Um, he got, he, creepy, yeah. so so he got a Golden Globe nomination. Creepy, but so good. So you got a Golden Globe nomination. Also mm. got a SAG Award nomination. Um, up to our listeners to determine if that was deserved or not. But yeah, like you said, he was creepy. He was fantastic, and he kept the movie going when it needed to because it was to me about to go off the rails. What do you yeah. think? Yeah,
0: I completely agree. I think, I think the one thing they did well with this film was how how the film was trying to convince us so much that yeah this is leto's character and right off the bat you you're like yeah okay it seems like one of those films where they kind of show you the antagonist or the or the or the actual criminal Early, but yeah. how he's going to get caught is now the question that we have to wait and see but this film does it where you are – there's not enough evidence yet to claim yeah. his his crime yeah. or, or what you think is his crime. Uh, and so you're going back and forth with, yeah. wait, so is you, he
1: though or is he not? And
0: I thought they did
1: a good job with that. He's brought into the interrogation room about halfway mm-hmm. into the movie and you're wondering, did he do it? Did he not do it? Right. So that's kind of where the second half of the movie really examines the morality of our uh, protagonists. And we're asking the question, how far will these cops go in order to prove that this guy is guilty, even is though he the may, or, yeah. may or may not be guilty, right? And this is, I think, the part where we are probably going to get into plot spoilers. So to our listeners, if uh, you have not seen the movie yet or uh, you know are going to watch it, I would go ahead and stop or pause uh, this, this section of the podcast. So I want to get into this. Um, the whole thing about Jared Leto is that we don't know if he did it or not. We now, don't. Plot spoilers. When we find out that he didn't do it, right? Or to our, up uh, to our, to the extent of our knowledge that he didn't do it. To the extent then, of the evidence that was shown yeah, in the yeah. film itself, yeah. really. Yeah. But then at that point we're like, okay, then if he didn't do it, then why is he here? And he starts to feel very much like a plot device in order to cast our main characters into a gray area of their morality. Well, yeah, he's just think one, that
0: He he's a character that I don't think uh, as a tool, but as an actual kind of unlucky draw of yeah. getting a guy that is just offbeat and yeah. also who is maybe a crime junkie yeah. and literally just obsessed with this yeah. and and wants to play along and wants to kind of see oh yeah. they think i'm the one that did it ooh this is fun yeah. there, there are people like that and they maybe uh, to me it's if you don't have enough evidence it doesn't matter how much uh, a person that that is of jared leto's character does or or pushes the buttons of these detectives you can't you can't convict him you know what I mean? Yeah. Even because the one thing is, and another spoiler is that sure they find they find all these newspaper clippings of of all the murders of these women that were happening, but and they think oh like yes has, this has to be him because why is he keeping record of all this right? It's still not evidence. It's right. just newspaper clippings of things that maybe he's following, uh, just because he finds it. Yeah. Fun. He gets in, off and, on in a very crude in a very yeah. crude way.
1: Yeah. Um, So here's the thing about his character is if they cast uh, an actor that wasn't very good, this movie could have completely fallen apart. Oh yeah. But this they did movie, it right, though. this movie, for, you barely see him in the first half, but it relies on him so heavily as a uh, device to keep the movie going that if he failed, the movie would have failed. But it it, it's doesn't. literally yeah. he 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 basically is the
0: Kevin Spacey of Seven. Yeah. yeah. Yes.
1: But I uh, dare I say, in Seven, if, if Kevin Spacey was not playing the killer and someone else played it, it would have still worked because the story was strong enough, the characters were strong enough, and the pursuit of the murderer was compelling enough. Here, yeah. where we meet him so early, if if it didn't work, the movie wouldn't have worked, right? It's, it's weird how he played him. He's creepy. He's funny and you know Jared Leto's a very good-looking guy, right? So there's a level of there's a hint of he sex appeal. Weight no, it looks like he lost did he, weight. Did he yeah. lose weight?
0: I don't know. In his jumps in, in his like Oh yeah, yeah. jumps or whatever, the way he walked too. Uh, yeah, He, I, I, he took yeah. his time and he wobbles. He would he like wobble yeah. like walking along. Yeah. So
1: I I I'm sure he developed the 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 physique in the character very much, you know, before he got to set, but um yeah, really really amazing job and uh the movie is to me his voice though too. What yeah. do you think of his voice? Yeah, very interesting. Are you guys
0: going to interrogate me? Oh, this is very <laughs> exciting. Oh, <laughs> like such a different way of portraying such a creepy character.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh he had the uh perfect uh serial killer name here, right? Sorry, that was He had like Albert his. Albert Sparma. <laughs> yeah, Sparma. <laughs> Sp- <laughs> not to be confused with sperma (laughs) no definitely not yeah
0: yeah albert sperma
1: that that is definitely a serial killer name there Um, yeah all right now we're we're gonna disagree on this so let's just get right to it let's talk about the ending um i'm gonna (sighs) describe the plot elements very quickly sure then we'll talk about it because we're already in spoiler territory so Uh, Denzel and Rami uh, they are our two cops they're convinced that uh, Sparma played by Leto uh, committed these murders and so uh, they are tailing him and eventually what happens is uh, Rami Malik's character decides to get in the car with Sparma because uh, Sparma is offering to show him hey I'll show you where I hid the bodies and first off you're thinking Okay, come on, cop. this this is not a smart move, but he does it anyway because he's so obsessed with find, finding the bodies and proving this guy's a killer. Um, Sparma leads uh, Malik's character, Jim Baxter out into like a desert uh, and basically has him just digging holes in the sand. And uh, Sparma is pretty much just taunting him. It's like, oh, I think I buried the body there. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, bad memory. I think he I buried him over there. Passage of time. There's like 20 holes in the ground. And then Sparma then proceeds to start trash talking and belittling um, Rami Malek's character. Malik takes offense, takes a shovel, loses waxed, his sense of discipline yeah, as a police officer. As a, as a cop, whacks Sparma across the head, kills him. <clears throat> Desmond Washington shows up, helps him hide the body. And now it's about a, a different story where they're trying to hide what just happened. And then we, we really get into. Um, what happens when uh, basically the journey to accomplish good leads us to do bad things, and then at the end of the movie, it also asks the question: You know, um, what are you willing to do to live with the things that you did wrong? Now, Will, what did you think of this ending?
0: The the fact that they buried an innocent man, even though. You can look at Jared Leto's character and go, "Yeah, this guy's a creep and weirdo, or or whatever." There's still not enough evidence, and the fact that they decided to bury it and and try to just no one's gonna ever miss him, whatever. Like it makes police officers look t- really bad in my mind, and also sends a very bad message that for the sake of what we believe was justice was not justice still what you what we believed so much that this person was the person but we didn't have the evidence for it is kind of like saying that's why so many people on death row who are innocent are still being killed kind of thing that's the what i took away from it and that's where i thought no that's not a, that that message was just so bad And and, uh, the fact that they just let allow that to happen. I
1: I don't think that that's the the message at all because, uh, I mean, mean, they're not That's just
0: what I took from it. I'm saying, yeah, personally,
1: because I don't think they're praising the cops. I think if if anything, they're like, oh, crap, these guys like screwed up messed up. Yeah. Yeah. And now they have to live with it. Right.
0: Well, and but the right thing would have been, even though I know I don't this wouldn't probably make for a good story, Uh I guess, is uh coming forward with their mistake. Right. They they, they they obviously knew that if they came forward with it, Rami Malik's whole life, he has a family, he has a daughter, all this stuff, yeah, it, it'd be in shambles. Right. But but the but the, the 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 point is though is that when you take an oath as a as an officer of the law, like that that is that that's the package that comes with it. You know what mm. I mean? You yeah. need to be accountable for your mistakes. Mm yeah, especially when you are upholding the law. Okay, yeah,
1: I get it. I really like the ending only because of the question that it asked because uh, I never saw a question asked like this before, right? Um, you know, we see we've seen the obsessive cop in many um, movies in the past. but Seven. here they actually, yeah, here they actually do something crazy. Uh, In the case of Seven, when Brad Pitt kills Kevin Spacey, spoiler alert, (laughs) right? Um, (laughs) It's like you almost wanted him to do it, and he did it in a fit of rage. Here, it was done in a much more like um, out-of-nowhere fashion, right? And so to see it done this way and then to just see how they are able to live with it and cover it up, uh, it was interesting, and I think it's speaking to... Um, the human condition, right? Like when, how often do we do something and regret what happened, but at the same time aren't willing to come forward with it, and now we have to live with the guilt? Or um, what do we do to somehow live with the truths in our life that are so unbearable, right? Um, That actually, those questions, to me, elevated the movie quite a bit because before it, I I was not a fan at all, to be honest with you, (laughs) you know? Um, so with that being yep. said, uh, maybe let's uh, just get to our reviews, our final reviews of the film. Will, uh, what do you give this movie?
0: I give this film a two and a half stars. Like I said, it was consistent in the beginning, and I had my interest in uh, Denzel's character of you know who he was and mm. and what was it that he became a sheriff and. and Left, left his good job as a detective in L.A., mm-hmm. but then dropped down after realizing his mistake, and then facing his demons. Which I get it, but I guess it didn't, it, it didn't impact me as hard as I would hoped. And then the message of it correlating with Rami's character and what happened at the end—it yeah. just fell even further down. Where okay. I was just like, mm, no, not doing this, not okay. doing it for me. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I went the other way. Uh, I give it the same rating as you, two and a half stars. I was well below this, and then Jared Leto came on. And was like, oh, okay. And then uh, the end happened. I was like, oh, ooh, that's that's different, and it it definitely frames the movie differently. So I give it two and a half stars. But I was in a position where actually the movie was getting better as it went.
0: Oh, how funny. Yeah. yeah, so mine was like consistent, little, like, you know, neutral, like kind of high, and then came yeah. straight down. Yeah. Yours was like low, and then yeah. kind of shot up a little bit. Yeah.
1: All right. What a flip. I know, right? That was our reviews of the film's Minari, as well as the little things. And thanks so much to Harry Yu, and he was very generous with our time. Thank you so much for coming on and answering some of my questions about this film. Uh, that was our episode. Uh, we will be back next week with the reviews of the film's Promising Young Woman, Judas and the Black Messiah. And we're actually re- reviewing a third movie for the first Ooh. time, so hopefully we don't end up with like wow. a three-hour-long episode. But we'll be reviewing the documentary Derek Delgadios in and of itself. Very interested to see what that movie is about. Until so then,
0: then, yep, yeah. Enjoy a three-hour next week uh, podcast, yes. ladies and gentlemen. Yes. I'm kidding. We won't keep it that
1: long. It'll be less than three hours. All you know what I'll do is I should set like an alarm and be like, "You have 10 twenty minutes for each film, you have five literally. minutes." five minutes you have four it's like hot potato the last person speaking has to do something crazy anyway oh man yeah all right until then we just want to remind you that it's not so much the destination but the things that you watch and experience along the way stay safe everybody stay safe